welcome to the webinar organized by artham we have our, our honorable guest advocate shamohan sir with us he is an alumni of sls pune and have 14 years of practice he is an advocate on record since 2014 also he stood as a additional standing counsel for our state kerala welcome sir we welcome you to this session thank you thank you thank you sir it's our pride actually to have you our previous session was regarding the practice in hc i hope we can begin now before start i am subhish shigesh uh, i am a law student from glc calicut uh, i am also the founder of this uh, artham initiative it's a initiative to promote adr and legal awareness in our community this webinar series is under the support of mylo and kerala law journal and swami law house i like to begin in this way how would you distinguish between the hc practice and the sc practice like what should be the consideration when someone decides to practice in sc other than high court see in so far as the practice is concerned it it would it would probably be you know really really you know uh, poles apart uh, when it comes to high court and the supreme court the room to maneuver to come up with new points new arguments you know the kind of uh, way you can draft things everything will be totally different be it uh, the high court or in the supreme court and it depends on the conditions which for instance it would be different uh, if uh, for the first invoking the original jurisdiction uh that is when you are invoking its jurisdiction or you know if it's if it's uh, one of those uh, court of uh, you know high court like bombay or uh, calcutta you might also have original suits being filed so the practice you know would uh, to a large extent depend on the kind of uh, case which you are talking about but uh, each case will uh, vary uh, quite a bit if it is in the high court or the supreme court and uh, the practice per se uh, i would say in the practical you know if you think then uh, one would have much more opportunity to argue and convince a judge in the high court rather than in the supreme court so i think that i think maybe it will be slightly more clear as to you know why why i am saying so if i tell you the kind of jurisdiction which is being exercised by the supreme court and so quite a lot of you might be quite familiar with the kind of jurisdiction which is being exercised by the high court however in so far as supreme court is concerned it's it's uh, quite streamlined and uh, you know the kind of jurisdictions with the exercise include original jurisdiction that is original jurisdiction will be limited to cases say for instance the ones which come under article 131 of the constitution which deals with disputes between interstate states and state and central government or central government and you know, one state or multiple states say for instance the mulla periyar case which all of you might be familiar with then we have the writ jurisdiction which is under article 32 of the constitution and there anyone can approach the supreme court if you feel that there is a violation of fundamental rights and obviously they can invoke uh, the writ jurisdictions like habeas corpus writ of certiorari prohibition and so on and so forth but in the in the area of writ jurisdiction again high court exercises slightly larger scope because you can approach for approach a high court uh, for uh, you know if there is a violation of any or any of the fundamental rights or any other justified reason which you can show as to why the high court should exercise jurisdiction then we have the transfer petitions where you know you can approach supreme court uh, as a court of first instance when you have when you want to transfer say for instance a matrimonial matter uh, which is pending in bombay to you know a court in uh, say cochin 
because you know the husband might be living in bombay but the wife must be in kochi so if uh, wife approaches the kochi high court of uh, then the husband can try to say that you know it will cause me inconvenience if the matter is tried in kochi so he can request for transfer the case from kochi to bombay then you also have cases where you know supreme court can transfer cases from one high court to the other or they can subordinate court to the other subordinate court concerns states it can also transfer cases to itself that is it can if it finds that there is a similar matter pending before the court it can uh, you know call for the case towards itself and then decide the case or if it thinks that you know it involves a subject of uh, the interpretation of the constitution then you have you can also have you know cases you know being filed system in supreme court when it concerns to uh, election of president disputes arising out of the election of the president of india vice president of india then we have the jurisdiction in so far as arbitration matters are concerned say for instance uh, you know appointment of arbitrator if it's an international commercial arbitration you will have to approve the supreme court so supreme court will exercise in the jurisdiction of the first instance it also acts as an appellate court in certain cases especially when there are statutes which prescribe that the appeal will lie to the supreme court in the first instance say for instance you take uh, a consumer court matter so according to the as a like if the pecuniary jurisdiction is over a particular level then it directly you file it in the national consumer court in such occasion you have a first appeal to the supreme court and similarly there are matters for any your try that is in common regulatory authority airport administrative authority certain matters under the income tax act then uh, disputes which arise out of the advocates act then we have the tada matters so, so on and so forth so if the statute provides that you can move a first appeal to the supreme court then supreme court acts as an appellate court in which case you have a slightly you know a larger jurisdiction which is exercised by the supreme court but i would say 80% or you know more cases which are filed in the supreme court pertain to special leave petitions and i'm not sure how many of you are aware of that but uh, article 136 of the constitution where you know each and every you know you can approach the supreme court against any decision decree determination or you know uh, which is passed by any court or tribunal in the country of course it is a discretionary jurisdiction so basically if there is a case where you don't have any other remedy that is you don't have an appeal or you know review or any other uh, basically where you have exhausted all your remedies which are prescribed then you can exercise the uh, specially you can appeal for the supreme court to exercise its discretionary jurisdiction which comes under specially petitions so more than 80% of the petitions in supreme court are, comes under the category of specially petitions and that's how it is filed then we have one more category that is uh, as in we have the presidential reference that is the president of india can refer certain questions of the undertaking things as arising or will arise in the future for a opinion from the supreme court then the supreme court can you know sit and decide if that matter requires it will give accordingly pass the opinion say for instance uh, some years back there was an issue where you know supreme court used to interfere in most of the matters where there was no option being conducted regarding the uh, natural resources being distributed so the president made a reference to supreme court asking whether auction is the only way by way which a natural resource can be distributed so a supreme court had opined on a constitution bench sat and it had passed this opinion so like i was saying the kind of jurisdiction which is exercised by the supreme court also we have quite a lot so you know that will also to a large extent decide as to you know the kind of practice in high court and supreme court but one thing you know i would say is like i was mentioning uh, if you are under an appellate jurisdiction or a specially petition 
your scope of arguing or the grounds are limited to what you've taken before the high court or the court below. You can't improve on your case. So that is a huge limitation, which as a lawyer in a Supreme Court, you know, you will, have, you will be experiencing. If you have to bring up any ground or any fact, which was not produced before the uh, court below, where an adjudication has already taken place, it will be very difficult. You can, of course, move an application, but the, the court considering that is very rare. It's not necessary that the court will entertain new grounds or new facts. So that's one of the constraints which you might have in your practicing in Supreme Court. At the same time, if you're practicing in High Court, you will have much more room to manure it. You will have much more opportunity to improve your case, add more grounds, probably, you know, factually also bring in more aspects. Because the court will be more receptive. I hope I've been able to answer your question to a large extent. Yes, sir. You have completely covered the area of jurisdiction, even though I asked for the distinction between the High Court and HC practice. It's cool, sir. We always amazed that how the Supreme Court is functioning. Can you, like, how the benches are formed? Can you little explain on that? So we have 33 judges as of now, and the Chief Justice, which makes it 34 judges. Normally, Supreme Court sits in benches of two or more. So basically, you know, for a matter to be adjudicated, you will have at least two judges sitting. It could be three, it could be five, or, you know, it will more, more, mostly go in odd numbers. Like I was saying, the kind of jurisdiction which has been exercised around 80% amounts of specialty petitions. And normally on a Monday or a Friday, you have petitions which are being listed uh, for admission. So those are called miscellaneous days. Monday and a Friday, you most likely to find at least 60 to 65 cases listed before each, each of these benches. And mostly it will be matters which are coming for admission because of it, it's called miscellaneous matters. So, you, you, like I was saying, you can expect probably a, a matter to be heard from anywhere between one minute to probably even two or three hours. So, the scope, you know, arguing a case when you, when you know that there are 60 cases listed in a day, I'm, I'm sure you can imagine. So, the arguing and convincing a judge is also a huge task because you might not really, you know, have that much liberty or luxury of time in the Supreme Court instance. And uh, we, we also have something called chamber judges, that is judges sitting as a single judge. But those are for certain matters which are specifically prescribed, which includes, say, for instance, condemnation of delay, or you have, uh, you know, substitution of legalized, or such applications which might not have huge implication on the judicial aspect of the case. So it's be more of a, you know, procedural or technical aspects of the case which should be dealt with. Now, once a matter, say for instance, if especially a petition, normally unlike high court, you don't have the opposite side being present on the very first occasion. That is when you're approaching the Supreme Court, you don't really have the opposite side, you know, holding the brief. If you go to high court, probably, you know, if you're fighting a case against the government, you'll have the government lawyer already there. But in Supreme Court, unless and until the court finds that there is some merit in the case, they can dismiss it outright. They can, they can just go. To say it in a you know a harsh way, they can throw away the file in no time. But if they find that there is some merit in the case, then they can issue notice to the other side, which means the court has decided or they felt that there is some merit in your case, and they've decided to hear the other side. Now at this instance, you might get an interim order, you might not get an interim order depending on the merit of the case. So once the other side also appears, the court can either dispose of the case immediately if they find it's a short matter. Or they can decide to hear it at a you know, slightly longer, taking slightly longer period, which means it goes into the category of final disposal matters. 
where you know there will be a slightly longish hearing in your matter and of course in the meantime there will be completion of pleadings that is you know the other side will be giving an opportunity to respond to your petition and you can request for a you know further rejoinder to be filed to that so after the pleadings are complete mostly it goes into the category of final disposal cases so the cases can be disposed of at that stage or like i was saying if it's a specially a petition you are seeking the leave of the court to admit your appeal which means that it gets converted if the court agrees with you it gets converted into a civil appeal or a criminal appeal which means they can hear it at length and it goes to the final hearing category and if it goes to the final hearing category you will be in the queue you might have to wait for say presently probably around 5 or 6 years so yeah mostly final hearing and final disposal matters are heard on tuesdays wednesdays and thursdays and uh, of course matters which will be there's a lot two judges can refer a matter to a judge bench three judge bench can refer a matter to five judge so the constitution benches can be constituted so those matters can also be heard at length like for instance last year considerable amount of time was spent on the ayodhya matter and a uh, lot of time spent on shabrimala matter so there were several matters which they deemed as they they felt that you know required consideration so obviously those cases were taken out of turn and heard uh, by giving some sort of priority to them. okay sir great does sir. that explain the uh, hearing of the the, the general uh, you know method followed in so far as the supreme court hearing is concerned or do you want to say on any other aspect yeah to, to completely okay, sir. because we are limited to the time i think we can we have to cover much more topics and i Uh, think, can you just uh, explain more on the uh, like the AOR and the designated senior thing, and how's the AOR exam conducted? Like, what are their privileges? Can you please enlighten me on that, sir? So, advocate on records, like you rightly said, is a category of cases which you find only in Supreme Court, and those are the lawyers who are uh, who have the privilege of filing cases before the Supreme Court, and uh, like like you may be aware, any lawyer. was graduated will have the right to practice in any court in the country however in so far as supreme court is concerned the right to file a case has been limited to the advocate on records and in so far as advocate on records are concerned there is a specific exam which is being conducted by the supreme court to qualify to sit for the exam you need to have at least 4 years of practice and 1 year of internship or a practice under a advocate on record who has a practice of at least 10 years so after the fourth year you can apply for the uh, the internship or the you know the traineeship under an advocate on record who has 10 years practice who can then give you or rather certify that you practiced under him and you've learned what an aor needs to learn and then you can submit the certificate to the supreme court registry along with that they'll also ask for the uh, certificate to show that you've been in continuous practice for the last 5 years and thereafter you are eligible to sit for the exam and in the exam you will have uh, four or five papers which would include uh, drafting practice and procedure you will have uh, uh, leading cases and you know uh, the code of ethics and you know practice related uh, you know ethical aspects so these are uh, these exams are conducted once a year earlier it used to be conducted twice a year now it's conducted once a year and uh, you of course the the difficult part for people who sit in this exam are that is, a, is that you have to write write through the entire exam so a person who is normally put in 5 years into the profession it's very difficult for them to you know sit through and write an exam which goes on for 3 hours 
and that to you know uh, trying to put whatever they've gained you know into that paper within that three hours so that seems to be quite a challenge and the papers are examined by senior advocates who have been interested with that specific job at a supreme court the papers are also set by senior advocates at the supreme court and uh, based on the assessment uh, the result should be out in say, six or seven months and uh, like most of the other exams you have the opportunity to reappear for some exams if you think that you know uh, you've done badly for one or two exams because there's a basic cutoff which has been prescribed that option to reappear is also there where you can you know not appear in some papers where you've already secured a decent mark now uh, coming to the privilege of being an aor i would say it's more of a responsibility because being an advocate on record the court is actually interesting with you Uh, extra task to ensure that the petitions are filed in the format in which it is required the uh, proper verification has been done regarding the uh, veracity of the facts on the grounds the uh, the client has properly attested to what what you you know advised and uh, whatever the case, actual case is and uh, to put it simply basically you are responsible for the brief so if there is anything which goes wrong with the brief the aor is the one who is accountable for that and uh, now coming to the question so mostly an advocate on record is duty bound to be there for each and every hearing and each and every proceeding and he is he is answerable to all the cases there have been instances where the court has uh, summoned advocate on records when they felt that they are not giving their best to the cases and there are judgments also in that regard now coming to the question of senior advocates now senior advocates is a is a, is a designation or a in a title which is given by the high court or uh, the supreme court which is conferred on certain advocates where they think that the advocates have a certain amount of standing uh, a special knowledge or experience or uh, you know they have some ability which according to the court is uh, marks them or you know keeps them apart now this designation is normally given by like i was saying the high court and supreme court earlier times it used to happen Uh, it, it it used a lot of subjective element used to be there you know because the judges had the privilege to you know pick and choose as to if they found someone uh, eligible and you know if they felt that someone was not eligible so considering the fact that the the uh, the designation uh, did lack a lo- huge amount of transparency into it there was a petition which was filed a couple of years back by uh, india jason who herself was a senior advocate challenging the process of the procedure which has been adopted by the courts in so far as the designation of senior advocates are concerned so a three judge bench headed by uh, the then justice ranjan gogoi had uh, delivered a judgment wherein they come out with or streamline the entire process and they try to unify the process across the country because each of the high court used to follow a different guideline so the supreme court has tried to bring a certain set of procedure or a guideline which needs to be mandatorily followed by each of the courts in so far as designations concerned this uh, now they've included uh, publications if that lawyer has done any publication that they've come out with the point system where a lawyer uh, will have an extra advantage if they make some written some publications obviously they look into the number of reported judgments which have been given by the lawyer uh, as in like which has been argued uh, argued by the lawyer and uh, they will also see the integrity you know the standing the conduct you know the overall uh, aspects of the lawyer and there is also there are also some amount of marks which has been kept aside for the uh, interview where you know there will be a panel 
pool sit and actually interview the candidate before deciding to place the matter before the full court. Now, unlike earlier times, the Supreme Court has said that there will be the chief justice, there will be a permanent committee headed by the chief justice, two other senior most judges, the attorney general for the Supreme Court and advocate general for the high court, and a member who is nominated by these four to constitute a permanent committee. It's called Committee for Senior Advocates, where, which will actually do the assessment. And they've also set up secretariats to be maintained in each of the high court to collect the data and the details regarding the equity. As in like the persons who, candidates who applied for senior advocates, they've also made a transfer and they've said that they'll publish the list of applicants on the website of the high court so that people can also give their comments regarding the person's capability. So it has been made quite transparent now. And there are, they, they try to streamline it and evolve the process. So based on that, now the last batch of senior advocates were designated by the Supreme Court. There were around 37 uh, senior advocates designated by the Supreme Court. Now coming to the distinction of senior advocate, it is a privilege, so to say, because you are limiting your practice to a large extent when you're becoming a senior advocate. One is a senior advocate is technically bound by certain rules, especially in Supreme Court, there are certain rules which say that senior advocate cannot do a lot of things. Most importantly, a senior advocate cannot appear in Supreme Court without an advocate on record. And senior advocate in other courts, cannot, he cannot appear in other courts without a junior counsel briefing him. So basically, he can't act on his own. There has to be a briefing counsel standing side by side. A senior advocate is not allowed to meet a client directly he is supposed to be briefed through a briefing council. That's, that's what is the technical aspect. But un I, unfortunately, I don't, or rather, my experience shows that you know, it is not strictly followed in most of the places. A senior advocate is not allowed to draft or make any pleadings. But a senior advocate can settle a brief. That is, once a draft comes to him, he can add his inputs or he can correct the petition if he feels that certain additions or corrections need to be made to the petition. So that, that's how the senior advocate has limited his work and so far as because he has a more onerous task towards, you know, or commitment towards the court rather than the client. And he is supposed to be more of assisting the Supreme Court and or rather the High Court. And his responsibility to that extent is much higher. Now, when I was mentioning uh, regarding the uh, the matters which are being listed on Mondays and Fridays. So, as everyone, every, you know, coming to Supreme Court will be the last opportunity for a client, if it is especially, which is the reason why the clients go to any extent and they decide to choose on engaging a senior counsel. Now, when you engage a senior counsel, you are, you know, engaging him for a particular day or, you know, a particular day's argument. And it's not like interesting or brief. And obviously, for the fact that they have, they come with their expertise and you know their abilities, the kind of fee which a senior counsel charges is also high. So I'm, I'm sure you'll be aware that you know a senior counsel would be charging anywhere between, say, around fifty-five thousand to around twenty-five lakhs also per hearing. So that's the kind of fee also you are looking at. And so far as the senior counsel's charges are concerned. And uh, being the last court, you know, because the clients would want ideally, you know, to have a senior counsel if they have the wherewithal to afford a senior counsel. Okay. All our questions we asked and you answered is regarding the more, more on the practice area. We never give something to our students. There are many students who like to know what should they do in order to get 
to in order to start their practice in the SC. Like, would you recommend a person coming to SC without a trial court practice? Uh, it's a one question. And another regarding how should a student should strategies his studies in the meantime uh, if they want to practice in the Supreme Court? They get internship out there. Uh, and also please add that judicial clerkship thing. We are limited to the time. That's why I'm asking all of this question as a button. Sorry for that. So how much time do I have to answer this? Uh, we have 10 minutes. Okay. So uh, let me start off by saying that I'm a first generation lawyer. Most of the people here might have a problem. You know, they might have a feeling that you know, it's difficult for a first generation lawyer to do well in this profession, which might not be particularly correct. And insofar as I, th I think I'll start with the... Uh, you wanted to know regarding, you know, uh, if there is any particular thing which you need to do insofar as, you know, coming to practice directly in Supreme Court is concerned. I would say that, you know, ideally it is better if you can have some amount of trial court practice because that's where, uh, you know, the actual law evolves and that's where your creativity and where, you know, and uh, where you can actually show your legal, you know, acumen and, you know, bring out your drafting skills, the arguments for the cross-examination, the examination of the trial. It's a huge learning. You know, unfortunately, I was not able to have too much of exposure to that. But I did have some exposure to some criminal side trial court uh, lawyer and also in the high court. That definitely adds to your value. But if you have the passion and if you feel that, you know, you have the commitment for working, then I don't think it's a, it, it makes a difference whether you start off here or start off in the high court or the trial court. But one thing for granted, one thing to be sure is that you will have to commit yourself fully, at least for the first five to six years in this process you want to stay in litigation. You might have to give up on your all the other activities. You might have to virtually give up on whatever entertainment you've been having. You will have to focus on it. If you can focus on it and start reading the law and the judgments, then it doesn't, according to me, affect it, be it in the Supreme Court or High Court that you're starting off profession. But I, I reiterate that you, know, you need to be 100% focused and committed because ultimately law is about your ability to you know read and develop yourself and understand things so that you can put it in the best possible way now insofar as the judicial clerkship is concerned is again this concept is something which came into india in the early 2000s it is not something which used to be there before but it is it is something which used to be there in the us supreme court and most of the courts abroad and it is supposed to be a huge privilege and the kind of learning that you get for a judicial clerk is uh, you know quite you can't really value how much experience you can get. And insofar as India is concerned, we have judicial clerkship in uh, Supreme Court, and more also they started having judicial clerkship. Basically, the role of a judicial clerk would be to assist the judge insofar as the reading the paper is concerned, the research is concerned. So basically, you will be acting as junior to the senior counsel or, or to a senior, where you will you will have to read up on most of the. Yeah, so like I was saying, judicial clerkship is something which will help you if you want to, if you are intending to go on a LLM abroad, especially if you're looking for some scholarship. It will definitely help you and it will also help you in gaining a lot of knowledge in within a very short time. Because like I was saying, even if it's high court or something, the number of cases you will end up reading in each, each, each day will be much, much higher compared to what you will be learning as a, in your one year of practice. And regarding getting internships, what I was saying was, it is very, very advantageous to start your internship. Make sure you do quite a number of internships because that will help you in figuring out what kind of law you're actually interested in. 
the way the practice happens and whether if you whether you you would be really interested in taking up the career in education or would you would be more interested in so far as a corporate law or being in house consultancy concerns each of these aspects have a huge you know huge scope and uh, are equally challenging probably the the remuneration part might be different but all these aspects are equally challenging and uh, i would say that uh, the, the internship is a place where you can actually figure out whether you know what aspect you really need to focus on and uh, during the studies i wouldn't really say that you know there's any particular way in which you need to or any particular subject which you need to focus on in so far as you know ultimately getting to practice in supreme court or high court is concerned you will need to focus on each aspect of law the same way as you would do because the 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 law is ultimately about you know applying what you've learned and you know what you keep learning right through your career and not just what you've learned in college so i and uh, applying for internships i'm sure you know the the method would be to uh, you know figure out which law firms are of interest to you or which counselors of you know some you 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 would like to work with you keep sending emails and reminder so that you know you'll get an opportunity to work with them and a certificate from some of these firms especially the internships will help you you know ensure that your career is probably streamlined and you know you'll have a better resume when you when you graduate okay sir great sir uh hey you would like to add anything else like uh, like any advice to the young students or young lawyers i would say whenever you get an opportunity uh, definitely do internships and try to read judgments or you know keep yourself updated with whatever is happening in the legal field and uh, you know be I, i i would i would be you know the first person to say that if possible try to make the best of the college life rather than think too much of the you know profession if you are plan to do litigation because like i said you will be sacrificing at least 5 to 6 years of your you know life once you get into a litigation practice uh thank you sir thank you for the wonderful session you have answered all our queries though we have limited by time yeah. and uh, thank you guys for attending we will be uploading this video to our youtube channel